Then you better book three. Hello, and welcome to Condensed Truth, the Essential X-Files podcast. I'm your host, Shelby. And I'm Laura. And we have returning guest, Kay. Welcome back, Kay. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me back. We are talking Season 7, Episode 10 and 11, Sign Unzeit and Closure. And yeah, so we're wrapping up the Samantha storyline, officially. For real this time, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sign Unzeit aired February 6, 2000. Did you feel that? Something shifted. We're not in the 90s anymore. <laughs> yeah, I did feel that, actually. The clothing was just so 2000. <laughs> I also feel like this is the first time I've seen like their older selves in their current faces in the show. Like Especially with David Duchovny. It's like, he mm-hmm. looks more tired for some reason and i just like see his Mm -hmm. older self in his face in these episodes i thought that too i was like they look older yeah for sure in a way they haven't before right yeah but these episodes were written by chris carter and frank spotnet so it's officially a myth arc it was directed (laughs) by michael watkins who directed i want to say monday but i i really like the direction of both of these episodes I love the direction of these episodes. It's one of the things that really makes them stand out to me. Yeah. Yeah, so the title of this episode comes from, it's German, and it means time and being. And it's the name of a book written by the philosopher Martin Heidegger. And he was a member of the Nazi party. It it was interesting because his Wikipedia page is like, he was born in the German Empire and died in West Germany. And it's like, damn, like, that's so much to experience in one country no in a lifetime. Yeah. The Nazi part was a big no-go, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but that man really saw so much. Uh, but it, the X-Files really does always come back to the Nazis, I feel like. It's like a core part of the, <laughs> it's like, the show. It's like Indiana Jones in that way. It always comes back to the <laughs> yeah, Nazis. Exactly. exactly. Oh, the plot of this episode, which I didn't have a time to write one, so we're going to wing it. It'll be fine. A little girl is missing under odd circumstances, and Mulder insists on being in on the investigation. And they end up finding a serial killer. That's the gist of it. (laughs) Um, But then we get into the Samantha stuff. But so in the cold open there, we're seeing this. It's not really an abduction. It's more like a disappearance Mm -hmm. because there's no sign of anyone breaking in. But we see the scene and the father has a vision of her dead before she is missing. And the mother writes the kidnap note, but doesn't remember writing it. One of the crew was had the note in a folder and he was at a payphone and he's does a call forgets to take the folder this whole time someone's watching him thinking that this guy's suspicious calls the cops the cops see this note about killing a child (laughs) and the guy's on his way back at this point so they arrest him and then they had to bail him out of jail oh my gosh that's crazy (laughs) it was like holy cow (laughs) 
Yeah, it like it like stalled production. Well, yeah, because they had to get the note, the kidnapping <laughs> note back. From oh the my gosh, that's hilarious. <laughs> It's always the wackiest shit that happens yeah. in the filming of this show. Like, it's never anything normal that, that goes poor, wrong. Like, or, like, that got arrested. <laughs> yeah, it's always like rain in Vancouver getting arrested. <laughs> we have the credits. And Mulder's, you know, hustling down the hallway. He goes up to Skinner and he's like, I want to be on this case. Like, uh, I can do this. And Skinner being like the the dad that he is is like, okay, you can go ahead. But I have a lot of hardworking agents in that office trying to find this little girl too. So like, don't think that you're just coming in and taking over the case like you usually do. I like how- And he's like, okay. And he's like, he's lying. <laughs> he can't help himself. <laughs> I like how when Mulder walked into the room, like everyone stopped and like turned around and looked at him. Like, what is this guy <laughs> going to pull now? And Skinner kind of was kind of like, oh, let me go deal with it. And then, like, Skinner <laughs> does the opposite of dealing with it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And we also have, like, leather jacket Mulder, which mm-hmm. is, like, always, like, a, a tough omen. <laughs> <laughs> so he does what he says. He shows up to the kidnapping happen. Well, I feel weird calling it a kidnapping. It's not a kidnapping, but I will probably end up calling it a kidnapping for shorthand. <laughs> but the disappearance happens in, like, Sacramento. Again, they're not shooting outside of California. Everything no. happens in California now. <laughs> They're not even trying to make it look like it's not California They're anymore. like, it's, it's Sacramento. We give up. <laughs> yep. But he asks questions about the parents, and they're clearly, like, hiding something. And they have, like, some family friend lawyer, like, representing them. <laughs> it's just like, no, y'all need to call a real lawyer. <laughs> but, because it's not looking good for them. But, like, only Mulder would believe their, like, story, which is true, but only he would believe it. <laughs> right. That's the thing where it's, like, he's both the best person and the worst person to have in situations mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. this. Because he's the only per like, no one is going to fight for this family and for this little girl like he is. And no one else is going to believe them like he would. But he also just, like, comes with so much of this baggage that kind of hinders his ability to do his job correctly. Exactly. And so it's just a toss-up in that way. Yep, yep. And Scully comes to, you know, join his investigation. I just love that she's, like, stuck being the middle person between, like, Skinner and Mulder. And it's like, that is, like, your boss, Mulder. (laughs) Like, why is... Your partner, the one that has to tell you, like, he's pissed at you. Um, you know, <laughs> he, he he gave you explicit instructions not to, like, take over. And, and here you are in Sacramento. <laughs> but uh, Tina calls it, and Mulder kind of says, like, oh, I'm not in D.C., but when I'm back, I'll call you. And she's like, okay. And, uh, yeah. that Then we'll get to that. <laughs> My enemy, Tina. <laughs> My, I was going to say, I almost posted when I was watching some comments about her, but I didn't want anybody to disagree with me. Ever. Uh, but yeah. I also love that scene in the motel. It's the second time in the episode that Mulder says that this little girl isn't dead and like insists that it's not mm-hmm. dead, that she's not dead. Um, 
And you can see, like, in Scully, when he says she's not dead, you can see her face, like, kind of start to shift of, like, I think that's when she really starts to get a little bit scared and, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. know that this isn't, like, obviously everybody knows that this is going to be, like, a kind of volatile case for Mulder, but, like, in that moment when he says, like, oh, she's not dead, you can see Scully start to know, like, oh, this isn't going to be good, like, this is going to be something that I'm going to have to worry about and deal with. Exactly, Mm -hmm. exactly. And Mulder is like we've already mentioned it, but he Mulder really is such an annoying coworker because like he comes <laughs> in this case and he's just making these brave claims in front of these other people who are working very hard on the same case, and he's just like something supernatural happened. Like <laughs> I don't know what to tell y'all. <laughs> like that's what happened. <laughs> in this point, Scully says, you know, like you're personalizing at Mulder, which we've heard her say before. Yeah, but I feel like this is a one of the first times we haven't had Mulder push back as much. Because usually when she says that, he gets irritated. Mm-hmm. There's an, I believe it's in Conduit, where he gets really pissed. And he's like, not every woman, like, not every missing woman I ha- case I go on, I'm reminded of my sister. It's like, I mean, you kind of are. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's an obliate when he says that. Oh, okay. When he says, like, not every, he says, not everything I do think, feel is about my sister or something like that. But you're right that usually he's kind of like understands where she's coming from. Like in Obliette, when she says that, you're and he says, he says something like, You think I haven't thought of that, but I have. And it's like he's kind of saying, like, I get what you're saying, I get where you're coming from. But in this one, it's almost like he's so stuck in this place where he's just like. He says, like, did I even mention aliens? And it's <laughs> like, he's just not even receptive to the idea that this is similar, that he's, it's when you get so, like, emotionally involved in something and you get so worked up into something that you can't, you don't even have the rationality for somebody to say, like, this is what you're doing. Like, you're making it personal. You're getting too involved. Right. He's just trying to push back at her like, oh, I didn't even mention aliens as though that's the common thing that Mm -hmm. would make it personal to him when it's not. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like so personal. He's kind of like built a wall and like shut off. Like it's kind of like instead of being like so personal, he just like kind of gets like way too deep into it. It's so personal that he's like almost like built this wall in order to protect himself but it's like everyone else can see what's going on mm-hmm. and his his beautiful mind as as scully <laughs> called it is the sixth extinction it's just like keen in on the weird phrase in the note which is no one shoots at santa claus right and it's mentioned very early in season one, I don't remember what episode, maybe Fire, where he he's like, I have an um, ideic memory. Like, I remember everything I see. Mm-hmm. But, like, that hasn't been mentioned since season one. So, like, we kind of just roll with, like, he has a good memory. <laughs> but he really is just pulling out the similar case from, like, years ago out of thin <laughs> Yeah, but, like, yeah, for real. He definitely remembers, like, those weird little things that, like, it's, like, definitely one of those things where, like, he he does remember that type of stuff and he'll kind of forget it until something jogs that. And then he's like, oh my gosh, yes, I have seen this phrase before. I actually really like that mm-hmm. about Mulder. I think that's really interesting 
Um, it's part of what I don't think he's necessarily good at his job, but that is something that he is good at <laughs> at his job. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of good at his job. Yeah, it's yeah. He he is and he isn't. <laughs> he he's as good at his job as anyone with like this much trauma could be. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. He He's just like me for real. <laughs> he's good at the work. He's not necessarily good at the job part. Like the reports and the like yeah. being in an agency. He's not good part. at the J O B. Yeah. That's what Scully's good at. <laughs> That's why they work so well together. <laughs> yeah. She 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 writes all the reports. So there's also like this is right right around this time we have that shot of like where we don't see the pedophile but we see him watching the children and everything. And I didn't hate like this the that part of this episode cuz it's only in this episode, but it felt like a different show to me in a, a lot of ways. Like this is the part where I was like this is like a different procedural to me. Mhm. Like I I'll say that like usually when I watch these episodes, I'm not a huge fan. I find them kind of frustrating. And I think this watching it this time, I was trying to be more open and trying to figure out like what about it like frustrates me sometimes. And I, I wouldn't say like that that frustrates me, but it does kind of make me feel like I'm watching a different show. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these two episodes make me feel like I'm watching a different show. I but I think it's too. more that like this was always going to be hard to pull off. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that too. Like a, it's a very difficult topic to pull off. B. They're kind of like writing like the late 90s and early 2000s. There was a lot of focus on these types of like crimes. And so they're kind of writing mm-hmm. like that wave and like see. Yeah, it does kind of feel like a different show sometimes. I, I definitely feel that, too. I feel like that's part of what I like about it so much, because like, shall we, you know, this is Sign and Zeit is a top five episode of the series to me. It's one of I think it's one of the best that the show ever did. Um but part of what makes it stand out so much to me is that it doesn't fall into those same um, that same structure as an X-Files episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it does that in favor of personalizing it more and making it draw more attention to kind of the way that Mulder's mind works and the effects of why he does what he does, why he comes up with these theories, why he depends on these conspiracies so much Mm -hmm. but in a way where i love the dichotomy of this episode where it's both this kind of nonsensical starlight yeah normal (laughs) supernatural walk-ins mythology and it's simultaneously one of the most human and brutal and punishing episodes of the series where it's so rooted in this kind of mortal corporeal Mm -hmm. dirt and bones and Mm -hmm human evil yeah more than practically any other episode yeah i think it's definitely a risk um and i think this is where those types of risks like it either pays off like kind of like how you feel about it or like it can kind of make people feel a little awkward sometimes too um and i think as long as someone does get something out of it the risk is worth it um but it is really interesting cuz like they haven't really done quite like an episode like this with that is quite so different like that is quite a different risk and i i do i do see where you're coming from yeah they follow the lead from that other case Mulder found and that woman was convicted of killing her child and this is like 
prime molder. This whole episode's prime molder, but like this when he's talking to this woman is so prime molder yeah. because like she has reached a point in her life where she is just admitted. She said like I I, I plead a insanity. I killed my kid in a fit of rage, as she said, and she, she's just very like not. It's not viable, but like you got to say what you got to say to like get out in that kind of situation. Yeah. And and Mulder sees through all that, and he's just like the system is not just. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, you didn't do it. Like, something truly supernatural did happen to you, and and the U.S. justice system was never going to be set up in a way to explain this case, If since I, I was, he obviously was, like, in Oxford or wherever the hell he was in 1983. <laughs> but she, he's, like, trying to get her, and the beautiful, like, line in this when he says, like, they need your help. Like, you can help them. And, like, that's so Mulder. Like, he does all of this because he desperately wants to help these people because he knows where they've been. And he's he's using, he's trying to appeal to that part of her of, like, you can help. You're the only person that can help them. You're the only person that can reassure, like, this weird thing that happened to them really did happen to them. Yeah, he wants her to be able to tell these people, this mother and father whose little girl has disappeared, that what they're experiencing is mm -hmm. real and that somebody believes them. And he has this line in that scene when he says, these people just need somebody to tell them that it's okay. And that's so, like you said, I mean, it's Mulder moldering his Mulder yeah. in that scene. <laughs> it's just like he's pleading with this woman to um, just give this family something that only she can give them, which is relating to someone and being believed by someone and being able to look at somebody else and say, this is something that is true and that happens and has happened before and there's precedent. And so maybe there's something that can be done, something that can be figured out, somebody that can help. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and like pairing that with like the immediate aftermath where like Scully's tearing into him, like that was irresponsible. And like, it's just so, it's just so them. Like, I think this, I I think honestly, I like sign insight more than closure. Cause like a lot of it is just like, yeah. it really hits like it's them. She's so overprotective of him. She wants to make sure like he's not putting himself in danger, but like other people are taking him seriously. Right. And in the true like molderiest of like molder ways, like it is a bit irresponsible. Like, like Scully is right. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't mean it's not like the right thing to do, but it is a bit irresponsible. Mm hmm. I also I just like really it kind of made me cackle and I thought it was like. I don't know if they meant to make it sh this sharp or not, but like when and Mulder says like she couldn't like looked at her, look at her. She couldn't have killed her son. And Scully, instead of saying yes, she did, was just like, well, she was convicted. <laughs> it's like, well, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> right. And that's very Scully, too, of like, this is the facts. Like, I don't know if she did yeah. it. And I know that I can't really say like yeah. Scully can't really say, well, yes, she right. did. Mm -hmm. But. It's putting that, like you were talking about before, back on the justice mm -hmm. system and that kind of how different it is from what Mulder and Scully do. And so the only thing that Scully really has to combat him is this conviction. Yeah. Well, this is what the system decided. I think mm -hmm. this is also her. She's being very careful with Mulder in these couple of episodes because she knows she doesn't want to like 
overindulge him because like she ultimately is being very protective of him even like from himself and this like really emotional situation he's in and so like i think this is also her treading very carefully with her relationship with Mulder because she wants to support him but not like in a way that's going to be more damaging ultimately for him later on and so i think this is a really good example of her kind of walking that line. Like, yes, she's also like, you know, only saying what she can factually say is correct, but also, or is true, Mm -hmm. but also like she's, she's not wanting to overindulge him because she wants to protect him from himself. I feel like Mulder's like such a slippery person to have like a debate with. Cause I feel like if, if he gets you to, you know, speculate or reach out He's like, got you. And I feel like Scully knows this after seven years. And so she's just sticking to the fact she's like, you know, she was convicted. That's all I have to say. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We check in on Tina, my enemy, (laughs) and um, she's burning family photos and stuff and doing like a sad voiceover. Her son forgot to call her. (laughs) Actually, I think he's still in California at this point, but still, he doesn't call her. The woman does agree to talk. She makes a video for the LaPierres. And like, oh, like this episode's like really good because just like the relief they feel is just so palpable. And like her just saying like she your your daughter's in a better place. Like she's dead, unfortunately, but she's safe. And it's just like, oh, so good. Like they do a lot of these storylines, obviously, for Mulder. But like, I feel like this is one of their better ones. I don't know. I still love Paper Hearts and stuff, but... Yeah, it's emotionally different than, like, Paper Hearts and stuff. Yeah. Uh, this is the other thing I learned in my book, is that that shot where, like, Mulder's doing an interview outside the court, it, basically, like, <laughs> saying the law peers are innocent. <laughs> yeah. Um, they ran out of money, and so they just, like, convinced this, like, one uh, excited Australian TV reporter to do it for free. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you'll be in the X-Files. <laughs> I would. I would be like, hell yes. You know, you know, unpaid labor, not good. But <laughs> in this situation, I'll, I'll give, I would give it a pass. But you're willingly offering it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put me in the that reboot they're doing. <laughs> Ryan Googler. <laughs> Just have me in the background. This pisses Skinner off for very obvious reasons. Yeah. Because it's an FBI agent basically saying they didn't kill their daughter. <laughs> and... Wrote direction is so good, but I don't remember why. <laughs> I don't remember what ab- about the scene appealed to me so badly. They pull the um, you hear the the dialogue, the voiceover of Mulder. It kind of the camera kind of spins oh. around back onto Skinner's face as they're watching it. So it's kind of this dichotomy of like Mulder's kind of delusion, <laughs> delusional nature. This is kind of, this episode is like the worst that he ever is at his job yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's ever typically blatantly terrible at his job. Yeah. Really. But saying this on I TV think other is than pretty letting that pedophile out and pe- uh, paper hearts. That's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> other than like paper hearts in this episode, yeah. like <laughs> paper hearts and sign and Zeit are both the most like human and brutal and punishing episodes of the series in my opinion um but yeah just that contrast to Mulder kind of declaring these things on national television mm-hmm. of like these people didn't kill their daughter and the camera spinning and you're just kind of watching both of them watch 
and be confronted with that. And there's kind of this Skinner representing that kind of rationalism that Scully usually does in kind of a more authoritative way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a good example of like Mulder kind of is in his own reality that is different from everyone else's at this moment. And Scully interrupts because Tina was so pissed at Mulder for not returning her call that she kills herself. (laughs) She dies by suicide. (laughs) It's like not like normal either. It's like a la Sylvia Plath. Like I didn't know that you could (laughs) I don't think you can do that with ovens anymore. Like I don't (laughs) I think that is like a safety feature that they, you know, put in so you couldn't like if you open the door it like shuts off or something. Yeah, like it will shut off the gas or something. Like you can't just like turn on. Joe Biden's America's taking away our stove oven, so we can't even do that anymore. And seal the door and then just, you know, go to sleep anymore. (laughs) <laughs> These are the most dramatic yes. people in the whole world. Yes. It's like literally genetic in this case. <laughs> For real though, like between Tina killing herself a la silly to Sylvia Flat <laughs> because her son re- forgot to call her back and the freaking cigarette smoking man sitting Mulder's in the dark doomed. in Scully's apartment <laughs> and then like illuminating his face with his cigarette. Yes. It's like you can't even be mad. <laughs> He has like he has no hope. Like it's not his fault at this yeah. point. Like he's remarkably well adjusted. If you consider if you think these about facts. it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So <laughs> I just like kept laughing about like the idea. Like Mulder taking time off for his his mother's death makes sense, but then Scully also has to take time off to take care of Mulder during this time. And so the X-Files is just, like, permanently shut down because he's such a fucked up family dynamic. (laughs) It's just so funny. Like, oh, I really just have to go help my partner with this. (laughs) Like, this is... This this situation ship is just out of control. (laughs) (laughs) And, oh, this is just, like, such a tough molder to see because, like, he's really spiraling in a way that, like, oh, yeah. we haven't seen in a hot minute. Like, I would say, like, this is his most down and out since, like, uh, Gethsemane and yeah. Redux. Like, he he's he is just thinking that, like, there is a conspiracy in his mother's death that isn't there. And, and he's asking Scully to do an autopsy on his mother. And it's just like, oh my god, just, just a very Mulder this episode. Yeah, and like S- Scully getting kind of mad at that is like very real. Like that is like kind of an insane thing to ask her to do. Like mm-hmm. that man is not okay. And when he's like, "Who else can I ask?" and it's like, <laughs> that's the point. It's so desperate. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. I don't have anybody else, and he doesn't have anything else to fall back on Mm -hmm. and that's what i love about this episode so much is that it's so punishing in the way that this is what Mulder does all the time this is what Mulder has to do to survive these experiences and these losses and these things like to walk into a room and to come up with some answer that will make sense that will make himself feel better that will be the most hopeful and that will make the world okay and the reason why it's so brutal in this episode is because he's yeah. wrong. Mm-hmm. He's wrong about Amberlynn. 
not not being dead, still being alive. He's wrong about his mother not having killed herself. And so it's just usually, as we've seen it for seven seasons, he walks in with the most hopeful answer and comes up with some explanation, and he's Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. But where this episode really explores and closure as well is kind of why he does it and why people do this, why people come up with these conspiracies and these kind of explanations and kind of this desperate grasping for answers. Yeah, it's definitely Mm -hmm. his coping mechanism. Like, he doesn't know any other way to cope. Mm -hmm. You're you're so right. I I thought about this, too, because... um... I mentioned this before, but I, I'm deeply fascinated with QAnon and I follow a podcast that covers like QAnon from like your critical lens. And a lot of it is like they'll talk about these people and then they'll talk about their lives and like how they ended up to this point. And it's always like the bleakest shit you've ever heard. Like it's like their kid died and then like they couldn't cope with it. And so they just started believing this like conspiracy theory and like. At the end of the day, that kind of is what Mulder is. Like he's 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 right, but like he's also coping with all this trauma via this conspiracy theory. It's it's more hopeful to believe that there are forces beyond our control other than just like the sad reality that like things happen and and people get hurt. And yeah. it's nobody's fault. It just happens sometimes. Right. Sometimes it is people's fault, but But sometimes it's not. And sometimes bad things just do happen. And like that is a hard reality to deal with. And there's definitely real people in the world who cannot deal with it. That's, yeah, very true. Mm-hmm. And so Mulder goes back to, uh, do we ever learn her name, the woman in prison? I feel like we maybe I do. I feel like maybe, but I don't remember. Yeah, me neither. So sorry to her if she has a name. But yeah. <laughs> she's alone in prison. And she tells Mulder that, like, Tina knew what happened to Samantha, and she was trying to tell him. Which is like, okay, well, that's more guilt on his part, but okay. Um, And she mentions walk-ins, and I honestly think the reason that I get kind of frustrated with these episodes is the walk-in part that just feels, like, too unbelievable to me. Like, that's too woo-woo, that's too new-agey. It's not too rooted in in like reality, and and I feel like they don't do a great job of explaining it. Right, there's not enough because I don't think there's anything to explain. Right, there's not enough explanation for me to like really buy it. So it kind of just almost feels like why. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, her name is Kathy Lee Tenkate, the woman in prison. Oh, okay. okay. Thank okay. you. Okay, Kathy. Poor Kathy. Yeah, we have like this the Santa thing, so. The the pedophile is like very into Santa for I don't want to know why you know nope. <laughs> like <laughs> whatever reason he's really into Santa. They say enclosure. That's like the wackiest thing in this. Casually, very casually, the strangest thing. In this episode. <laughs> yeah, they say something in the when he was like a janitor. Yeah, they say something in the beginning of closure, like he was working as a janitor, and they asked him to play Santa, and that was like. What radicalized him as a pedophile? Like Scully, Scully kind of implies that. <laughs> she says, God. "I think what she says is that he never got over yes. it. Like that he like never he's never got been over normal it. since." <laughs> That's literally what she <laughs> says. Like... <laughs> <laughs> like I did not think I did not think Santa was that important. <laughs> I like, like I don't remember that, that so I must have just like blocked so- it out. 
it really is like five seconds to the very beginning of closure. But again, like again, that's just it's finding some sort of answer, like some sort of reason that this person is doing this, like something that caused it. Like, I don't even know if Scully really believes that. But like, if you can say like, oh, he just had to play Santa Claus for his work. It's more um, comforting in a in a strange way than like, oh, we just don't know why people do this or like why where it comes from or what leads to it. Yeah. 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 So Mulder is continuing to spiral and he's like telling Scully his mom was trying to tell him something, how Samantha disappeared and that the syndicate got to her. And that's why she died. And that like Samantha wasn't abducted. It was just his mind trying to cope with her being missing. And um, and, and I love Scully so much. It kind of reminds me a lot. I mean, it is like the last season seven episode I've watched. But it reminds me a lot of the scene in um, uh, Amor Fati when he says like, you're my friend and you told me the truth. And, like, mm-hmm. that's so true even in this episode because so many people want to lie to Mulder. Cigarette yeah. Smoky Man does. I guess mostly just him. But, like, Scully sits there and tells him the hard truths and helps him manage it in a way that, like, nobody else ever wants to treat him with, the like, that kind of respect. Right. Nobody wants to, like, tell him that, like, what's the truth and, like, even if it sucks for him, like, she really is, like, his best friend, his confidant, like the one person he can trust, bar nothing else. And he needs to hear it in this moment, too. Like, that is what he actually needs the most. He doesn't need to have these sorts of, like, his, like, sort of, like, spiraling theories, like, validated. He needs to hear the truth. Sorry. It's kind of the most loving um, scene of the series to me, in a way, and kind of that real-world, like, tough way because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she could just continue to let him fall back on these things. She doesn't know what's going to happen when she's literally tearing down the yeah. only thing that he's ever been able to rely on or that he's ever mm-hmm. found comfort in or that he's ever been able to yeah. study himself with. And that's, I keep saying this, but that's what's so effective about this episode is that he has to fall back on these things, both with this little girl and with Samantha and when his mo- with his mother he has to keep doing what he's always doing and he's wrong. Like mm-hmm. he's just wrong mm-hmm. about all of them and he's wrong in closure. And it's so brutal and it's so much more harsh than he views the world. She knows that she's yeah. kind of taking this away from him in a way. And she's not sure if it's going to be okay afterwards or if he'll be okay afterwards. But she does it anyway because, like you said, he needs that truth. Like he needs to be offered that kind of respect and those kinds of actualities and she gives it to him and she cries with him and she stays in the aftermath of it and the wreckage of it and that's kind of the most actively loving and courageously loving thing that happens in the series to me yeah i mean Mm -hmm. i agree with you there is nothing that is more yeah, sort of courageously and actively loving than sitting with someone who you love and not necessarily delivering them bad news, but sitting with them through the bad news. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been there before and it is, it's, 
kind of um, the cornerstone of, of one of my relationships is the fact that we were able to sit and go through with it together um, and like face that type of thing, that type of, you know, death and mortality, like face on. And yeah, that is, I agree. It's very, very ultimately loving, even though it's extremely difficult because sometimes that is just the truth. Like it is just very difficult. Sometimes really loving someone is very difficult in that type of way. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we have time to get into it, but to expand on my Tina hate, like I know there are people that like, (laughs) you know, have some, um, I wouldn't say necessarily defense of her, but like, are eager to add context to her actions and i i think that's fair like context is not an excuse though yeah but like there was an a, a decent age gap between her and bill Mulder. Mm-hmm. it's it's always been very fuzzy how much she how complicit she was with the syndicate stuff like a lot of it always kind of felt like she was just dragged along <clears throat> she didn't ask her husband to uh join a secret yeah group you know trying to destroy the world or whatever but like i don't know she's kind of fascinating to me because like she she kind of always stands in opposition of Mulder, who always seeks the truth whereas tina is very intent on hiding from it avoiding and it so yeah. tina's role yeah tina's role in this two-parter is interesting to me as someone who she always previously just hid from it but here it's like she actively wants to help Mulder. Uh, seek the information he's looking for and I, I found that kind of interesting and I think it's an it's a bit not bizarre necessarily but I think it's an an odd choice for her in this two-parter like everything that happens with her yeah I'm always gonna be a Tina hater too um, I mean yeah. but I think that's <laughs> She's ultimately awful. what leads to um her kind of falling apart because mm-hmm. she has always been, I mean, she's coping in a different way than Mulder is. Mulder wants to find truth, but also kind of not really. Like, he always just kind of wants to hold on to this theory that he has that makes it okay to him, that he can live with. Like, he doesn't want to find anything that goes against that. And Tina doesn't want to talk about it at all, because she knows the truth. And so when it's kind of being triggered in this episode with Amber Lynn's disappearance, little girl in California, she's kind of falling apart in that same way that Mulder is, where she's not able to hold on to that same coping mechanism. Like Mulder isn't able to hold on to his same conspiracy theories and Tina isn't able to hold on to her kind of repression. And I think that's where it kind of hits its peak for her, where she kind of leads to, oh, like I need to do something about this. I need to talk about this. I need to maybe bring this up. And then, you know, it happens like that where you get in a state where you reach kind of your wit's end. And then if you're not given what you need in that exact moment, then it kind of just draws out and becomes unbearable and can kind of twist in your mind when you're by yourself like that. And so I think that's what ultimately leads to her decisions in this episode and her death in this episode is that she's, Mm -hmm kind of having to relinquish her own bedrock that she's built. And that's what makes it, again, so effective with Mulder is because she doesn't, his mother doesn't survive the same thing that's happening to him right now. His mother doesn't survive 
having to deal with the truth of what happened and losing her coping mechanism in the way that he is finally learning the truth of what happened and losing his coping mechanism. So she sees her daughter and they she ends up saying like 72, which leads them to the Santa thing, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess not to delve into the fact that Amberlynn wasn't even kidnapped by the Santa guy, but leads them to it. Well, I don't know. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Details. Details. <laughs> yeah. But they, they end up finding the Santa dude. Uh, the I love how he just like locks like um, Mulder's Mulder in the room, room and then like Skitter has a sh- <laughs> he just has a chase. Skitter just chases him by himself. I also like how he's dumb enough to literally lead them right to all of the poorly buried bodies. Yes, yes, very interesting. <laughs> and yeah, and they're at the children' grave, um, the mass child grave in this pedos. <laughs> it's just like oh, holy shit, Yikes. it's grim. Like it really is grim. Yeah, <laughs> my favorite shot. Uh, sorry, that's my favorite shot of maybe the series narratively. I'm obsessed with that lot, that last frame of Sign and Zeit when, you know, Mulder has spent this whole episode and his whole life Mm -hmm. convinced that this little girl isn't dead and that kids who go missing from their homes don't die and they can be found and that all of these mystical, conspiracy, extraterrestrial, starlight things happen. And then the episode ends Mm -hmm. on the shot of it pulling out and he's just standing alone, separated from Scully and Skinner slightly around these 24 tiny graves and it's just so punishing it's one of the most like effective shots of the series to me because like i said in the end he's wrong and in the end it's so much darker than he's comfortable with and that he likes to exist in it's this dirt and bones and flesh and blood and it's so human and mortal and it's so unbearable in that way And I love that the show did this. I think that it's so, I think that this whole narrative of the series would be so much weaker without this episode, because I think that Mulder is so very often right. And I think that if he were right in the end about the more important, larger things, that it wouldn't have so much of an effect. It's so... um, emotional and effective in the end Mm -hmm. because he's wrong and because he's kind of created this Mm -hmm. world for himself Mm -hmm. that makes things feel better. I mean, you keep using the word punishing, but I think it is very apt. Um, And I think like watching these episodes, it is such a different direction than they have traditionally taken, not only with the Samantha storyline, but with Mulder in general that, like when I was initially watching, I was kind of really confused because I just wasn't expecting something like this because this is so rooted in like reality and mortality. And yeah, we just don't usually get that with this show that it was. It's 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 surprising. It's like. Not necessarily like a nice surprise because it's so heavy, but like it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Unexpected. And so mm-hmm. the more time that I have with these episodes and the more that I think about them, the more that I kind of understand where they were going. And, and I'm kind of pleasantly surprised that they did something like this. Yeah. So next we have Closure. And this aired February 13th, 2000. Just like right before Valentine's Fun Day. Valentine's this, Day. Like, <laughs> incredibly sad, like wrapping up like this guy's like dead sister story. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Now back to the child masquerade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was written by Chris Carter and Frank Spotnitz and directed by the goat, Kim Manners. And the plot is like we, we've wrapped up the Amberlynn LaPierre storyline and now we're focusing on Mulder and Samantha and his struggle to make sense of his mother's death and of Samantha's where she ended up. So we saw the we start with this sad opening voiceover that it's like very purple prose and very Chris Carter style. And yeah. to be honest, I tuned a lot of it out. Me too. <laughs> but the parts I did kind of pick up on that I thought I found really interesting is like what y'all are saying is so I feel like so much of the show, like the the violence is supernaturally explained. Right. And in this case, the violence is very human. Yeah. But what's supernatural is like the the try to escape from pain kind of thing. You know, when Harold later says, like, why do some suffer and some don't? Like, I yeah. feel like this is kind of what this sh- episode's trying to ask ourselves. Like, um, we see these dead children, their spirits. We hear this Moby song, which I really like. I, like, I've never heard the song fully, but, like, I like what they used in it here. I thought Mark Snow's score was amazing. And these kids, like, forming a circle and this, like, sad kind of like haunting but like hopeful kind of music going on and it really was like asking you know i i don't know i don't i don't know how like not to delve into like who deserves to suffer and all that kind of bullshit but like i think it's generally agreed upon that like children are just like that kind of stuff hits harder and i think this idea of like these children escaping spiritually the moment before something terrible is supposed to happen to them is just kind of fascinating and I don't know if I think the episode pulls it off necessarily, but it really did have like a tone to it that um, was totally unique to these episodes that I found very fascinating. Yeah, I think in a way that's almost like another way to cope is to believe that they all escaped mm-hmm. before the bad thing happened, because we know whenever things like this happen in reality, they they don't escape that suffering. Right. So like and that is mm-hmm. like extremely to you, difficult the to scientists. deal with. Yeah. <laughs> that is extremely difficult to deal with. Um mm-hmm. and so in in a way this is kind of its own little like coping mechanism like like no they they escaped before before the bad thing happened. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and and we even have the kids in like the gravesite who didn't escape. Right. Like those 24 kids didn't no. escape, but then these kids did. Yeah. And it's just it's very haunting. Yeah. It's a little bit of a respite in that way. That's what this episode, that's what closure is really, is it's this kind of combination of this brutal and human suffering and kind of a little bit of Mulder's hope. And like, it's a compromise of this kind of, it's something to offer. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is very human. What happened to Samantha was very human. It's so much more dark and corporeal and brutal than we talked about for seven years and that Mulder likes to look at things and think of. But in the end, there's still a little bit of something to hold on to, of something to believe in still in the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And even the tagline is believe to understand. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, the tagline is is not one of the stronger ones. Yeah, I was like, not one of your better ones, but it's fine. Yeah, and I totally think it's okay to have a coping mechanism to deal with really difficult things. You know, like, that's that's totally okay. Like, 
if this is what you need to believe in order to like live your life and move on, then believe it, you know? And it's never really even all of that confirmed or very clear. Like some people don't even think that the walk-ins are real. Some people think that what Mulder sees at the end of closure was just kind of something that he made up. And I don't have like a clear position on that, but even the show doesn't even confirm when exactly Samantha died or whether the nurse's story is true. Like it contrasts with Spender's testimony in the original finale. And I like that. I think that that's important. I think that's something a lot of people miss when they think of these episodes as like, oh, it's such an unsatisfying ending or it does an ending that doesn't make any sense but it's not really an ending it's not really confirmed answers i think that's what frustrates people about Mm -hmm. this episode is that it's called closure and it doesn't offer any but to me that's the point because the shows the show's message and theme on loss and grief and trauma is that there is no closure that there is no beyond the sea and that you can't escape it And so in the end, what I love about this episode is that they do kind of dream up another conspiracy mythology that doesn't really make any sense, but that allows Mulder to move on in a way. It's different from, it's like they say, not to jump ahead, but like the guy that Scully brings his tapes to says, like, he created this fantasy in order to have something to pursue. And that's true. That's always been true. And now he needs something to pursue anymore. He's giving up on the pursuit. But what he needs is to believe that she's okay and to believe that she's Mm -hmm. close by, that her soul is close by, and that she's safe and that she's at peace. And so he has something now that he can hold on to and believe, even if it's not necessarily true, even if it conflicts with other testimonies. Because there is really no closure. Like, there's nothing that's going to make it. But yeah, also, I agree with you. Like, I think that is the point, is that there is no definite sort of answer, you know? hmm So, their FBI agents are combing through this pedophile's whole thing. And um, <laughs> Mulder's just, like, in the corner with, like, the little my, uh, magnifying glass on the film and they, you know, we find out there's 24 dead kids in that field, but La, uh, Amber, La, Amber LaPierre is not among them. Yeah. The killer refuses. He admitted to everything, but he refuses to take credit of LaPierre. Mm-hmm. And and when, like, Scully says, I know you wanted to find her out there. And he's like, says something about LaPierre. She's like, no, I meant your sister. Like, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's shift gears real quick. Like, let's focus on what we're actually talking about. <laughs> Scully's like, no, what's actually bothering you? Yeah, like we do know this this all comes back to Samantha. And they meet we meet the uh police psychic, Harold. Yeah. Uh and I love Scully's when he like gives her the business card and she's like, Police psychic? <laughs> I love her. So sassy. She's so good this episode. <laughs> she really was very sassy. <laughs> and he's like, I'm getting hits. I'm like picking up on stuff right now. <laughs> And he, this is a part where, like, Harold's fascinating. Like, I think he's well acted and everything, but he is, like, kind of a bit frustrating as a character because, like, Mulder really just falls for anybody, doesn't he? You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) I don't think Harold is necessarily meaning to, like, take advantage of Mulder, but Mulder Mm -hmm. is, like, his brain is, like, primed for being taken advantage of, you know? Like, this is when people take advantage of others is whenever they are just like completely vulnerable like he is 
Well, and that's what Scully's saying. It's like you're in such a vulnerable place. But Harold, what I love about Harold as a character is that he's exactly in that same spot that Mulder is. And he's kind of searching for those same answers. And he's kind of compared to Mulder a lot in that way. And he has that kind of, he's very desperately searching as well. Mm-hmm. And when and Scully like goes to like oh well we don't really need your help and goes to leave and then like Mulder doesn't move and like that just like look of pure terror in her eyes and she's like no Mulder he's like no. we are not <laughs> we're not doing this and he's like no I absolutely am and she's like I'm going back to Washington and he's like okay have fun <laughs> yep oh my god. So Mulder and Harold go to like the mass child grave and he he kind of like fills in some of the details. We kind of got like there are kids who are kidnapped and then there are kids where like the parents see a vision of their death and then they're gone. And those kids are like he's like those are walk ins. And he says something about like getting transformed into starlight. It's like very woo woo. Um, it. I kind of struggle through parts of this. <laughs> and, and like, he's kind of like reading Mulder. He's like, I sense a connection. And he's like, it's your sister that went missing, isn't it? <laughs> Just thinking of that line from Paper Hearts. He's like, is it a state secret that you lived in Martha's Vineyard? <laughs> is it a state secret you have a debt, like a missing sister? <laughs> and we get... Mulder's regression hypnosis, which we've heard before, but I don't think we've ever seen it. And this hair yes. is crazy. It really made Great. him look ancient. I'm going to be honest. I love that they did like that wig for this scene. <laughs> yeah. I was expecting to see the, the wedding ring that he flashes in Travelers, but he didn't do it this time. <laughs> I don't know if I'm like a Mulder and uh Diana were married truther, but like I think it's funny if it like were real. I think it is funny that like Mulder was married before and it's like hardly ever mentioned. That's what I'm like. I'm constantly starting drama on Tumblr because I'm a Mulder and Diana were married truther. And people are constantly asking me why I think that or like why I'm so why I believe that so strongly. And I'm like, just because I feel like it, like just because I like it. <laughs> I, I think it's great if like you want something, you want to believe something just because you think it's funny. Like, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like literally just cracked myself up the other day because I was just thinking about like, like in the middle of season two, like when Scully's missing and like Mulder's like, oh wait, I should probably get divorced. <laughs> Like, they're just funny. <laughs> uh, we kind of have a match of, like, this guy say, telling Scully, leave it be. Some wounds are too painful to heal and shouldn't be open. And Scully's like, well, this particular wound is never healed, so. <laughs> but then, like, that scene, auto, like, following up with um, Mulder watching Planet of the Apes and uh, the character saying, like, don't go look for it. You may not like what you find. And then the shot of, like, Mulder's head popping up through the, like, reflection in the mirror was just, thank you, Ken. That was such a good shot. And then Mulder is, he's not awakened because he wasn't asleep to begin with. But Harold does knock on his door at 8, 3 a.m. And he was watching Planet of the Apes, a movie he's probably seen at least 100 times before at 3 a.m. 
He is so cool. Like he would like really hate today's age where like he can't he would still have cable he just needs to have some dog shit movie or or like infomercial on at 3 a.m at all times (laughs) harold senses tina trying to reach out to Mulder, and he ends up like Mulder ends up writing out like uh the april base and so that's their next clue tina or Scully is breaking into Tina's house and finds a scrap of paper. But when she calls Mulder and she's like, I found this great clue. And he's like, not important. Cigarette smoking man, not involved. For once in his life, he's not involved in this. And she's like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) It's like that dedication to whatever he wants to think. Like, I love how many times he switches around what he thinks in this episode. Like, he even gives up on alien abduction entirely at one point. And then like in the next scene, he's back on it. And it's so indicative of what the FBI expert was talking about and what Mulder has done from the very beginning, which that's what I love about closure is that it makes explicit what this whole thing has been about and what Mulder has been doing Mm -hmm. in every episode from the beginning, which is just believing whatever he can make up in his head to make himself feel better. And he ha- he ha- never has a direct theory about what happened to Amber Lynn or these kids. Like, he never can come up with anything. He just keeps saying, oh, she's not dead, or oh, I can find them here, or I can do this. But it's literally just him making up whatever makes him feel better. And so in this scene, he's completely off of government conspiracy, and he's completely off of cigarette smoking man and so he doesn't have anything to do with it because he decided so in that moment because it's what made him feel better (laughs) scully gets home and cigarette smoking man just like lurking in the corner of her apartment and then like when her phone like ends she like misses the phone call and he's like oh i should have got that for you and it's just like just lurking in her room like house is just a molder trait like (laughs) cigarette smoking man (laughs) I was going to say, Mulder does this all the time. He does this all the time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that kind of like humanization of Cigarette Smoking Man a little bit where I love that about his character where he has these moments where he's like, oh, I just like to do this. Like, it's very honest. And then the the great line where like cigarette smoking man's like you've got it all figured out and, and Scully's like other than why you can't just knock on the door like a normal person <laughs> like get his ass. So his theory is that Samantha's dead and that he let Mulder believe that she was alive because he wanted to give him hope and like so paternalistic but so on brand for cigarette smoking man. His whole thing is that like he knows what's best for people and so he withholds the truth because of that. And so I love this, like, part of the sh- story. Like, of course, Cigarette Smoking Man did this. Mulder and Harold are, like, breaking into the base at, like, at, at military housing. And by luck, they find the house that is Samantha, where Samantha was because we see Samantha handprint in the concrete. And then we see Jeffrey Spender's handprint in the concrete. Uh, man, Mulder was, like, the only person that didn't get to hang out with them. Like, they were, the, all the half-siblings didn't get to hang out together. <laughs> And then Mulder, like, talks to Scully, and he's like, just kidding, like, Cigarette Smoking Man is involved. And she's just like, you just said he wasn't. Like, she can't even keep track of, like, what theory he's on at, like, this exact moment in his life. And 
and she tells him Cigarette Smoking Man says she was dead and they kind of argue about it. And I just, I love this a lot because it is just like, she is the only person willing to tell him what she thinks in a, a completely honest way. But he finds it frustrating, but she gets that and she's just there for him, like no matter what he does. But she also tells him that like Harold was being investigated for child's murder, which like, I feel like isn't a get me because you know, your kid disappears, of course you're going to be investigated as the father. Like, whether he did it or not, like, it's a separate issue. That he has schizophrenia, which is, like, always a weird move. Like, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if he actually has schizophrenia. I kind of get the impression that they were institutionalizing him and diagnosing him with schizophrenia because they were kind of trying to pass him off as crazy again with that that kind of comparison to Mulder again and the show has explored this before like in fully ado and everything of like Mulder would be viewed as crazy and would be in these situations if he wasn't in the position that he's in and didn't have the kind of support that he has and so Harold doesn't have anybody who's telling him the truth and who cares about him and is respecting him and is helping him and following after him. And so he's kind of left in these situations where he's put in these institutions and people are saying he's um, quote unquote crazy and diagnosing him with these things. I don't know if that's something that is, um, I get the impression that that's not something that the show is actually trying to say, but more in that kind of way of putting him in these situations and trying to diminish diminish him Mm -hmm. yeah for sure and scully ends up getting invited back to the military base with him (laughs) and he's just like we need to hold hands and close eyes she's like oh great a seance and like Mulder's like mourning but his absolute unhinged like uh maybe afterward we could play postman or spit the bottle (laughs) and it's just like i love the look um, we are investigating your dead's (laughs) (laughs) we are investigating your dead sister (laughs) when he says that like she kind of gets it's one of those perfect season seven moments because they're so flirty and like into each other in season seven specifically and when he says that she kind of gets like a little bit flustered and like a little bit caught off guard and i'm like can y'all read a room like y'all are doing a dead child seance right now they are (laughs) so silly (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we see these ghosts and Mulder ends up getting led to Samantha's diary hidden in a wall and it's so heartbreaking because they like go to a diner to read it and it's just like she writes about like being tested on and so like this is the part I kind of like get I previously I would get really irritated because like I feel like this episode, I don't think this episode is doing this, but previously I thought this episode was retconning a lot of, like, the alien stuff. I think she's being tested on by the aliens, is my read of the situation. Even though they don't explicitly say it. I don't know that I interpret it as retconning anything, because we've never really gotten a lot of um, trustworthy information on what happened to Samantha in this episode. This episode kind of um, discredits what in the past, our main source on what happened to Samantha was, which is Mulder's memories, his hypnosis memories. Mm-hmm. And this episode is kind of saying flat out that those aren't trustworthy and that it's not reliable, which I always really liked that the show did that because 
right? Hypnosis regression isn't a reliable source. And so it's always kind of discredited that. And we have other information that we've gotten from cigarette smoking man, but this episode also kind of discredits his testimony saying he's been trying to lead Mulder on for so many years and he's Mm -hmm. been trying to do this. And so I think that they, I don't think it retcons information so much as it's kind of shining a light on what information is credible and what information mm-hmm. is incredible. I think the part that I always think about is that we've seen like clones of Samantha. Like the younger one very much clearly is the same Samantha. The older ones I could see you could, you know, say like, well, they just said that that was Samantha. But I think, like, to me, um, there was so much emotional work that I didn't want them to undo by saying that, like, none of that was true. Just maybe, like, a uh, a short-sightedness on my part as, like, a viewer. But, like, to me, I felt like that was, that was solid. Like, not, like, true necessarily, but, like, there was something for me to hold on to. Like, something that actually happened. Yeah, I think... I think I have a very similar reaction. Like, the clones are, like, such a solid sort of part of the mythology. The clones? The cl- I, could be, I could be wrong if what I'm recalling is wrong, which is possible. But the clones are still kind of involved in, like, it's kind of up in the air who made them or what, where they came from. So my interpretation is always that they were a part of these kinds of government tests and government plans, which I think Colony kind of alludes to in, like, there's, like, they allude to a little bit of CIA involvement or something like that. Um, so when with closure, my interpretation of closer, closure is it's so tied to these kind of government structures. Like, her being held on a military base is so telling to me. Like, it's so it alludes to like such a larger conspiracy of, you know, she was held by the government and on a military base and military housing. And so it kind of all leads back to more of the government conspiracy side of things than the extraterrestrial side of things, which is always what I liked in the mythology where it's always kind of up in the air and always kind of tied together. So I think that, I don't know, like I said, if I'm recalling correctly, but the clones, I think you could say, are a part of that, are a part of these tests that were being done on her, because we don't know really. I assume that it was kind of similar to the like things with Cassandra Spender um, and testing for the vaccine and everything, but we don't know what all they were doing with these kinds of human test subjects that they had. Yeah, but, like, yeah, Mulder's, like, reading, like, about the test, and, like, she remembers Mulder kind of faintly and kind of writes it at him, like, she's not writing this to her parents, she doesn't really give a shit about her parents, rightfully, but, like, they were just so connected in a way, like, you can really feel through the show, Mm -hmm. even though you never really see them interact with each other, like, other than his vision, which may or may not be true, of her abduction and these maybe fake Samantha's and this ghost Samantha, it's kind of the extent in which we see him like interact with Samantha. She's always such an after image. Mm-hmm. And he wa- waxes about starlight. It's like very silly, but like really sweet in, a, in the same way. And Scully even tells him to get some sleep and he chuckles. And I was like, Paper Hearts reference <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> very, it's very Mulder, that starlight scene. Like, it's kind of, he's been so frazzled 
throughout Sign and Sight and Closure, that scene where he kind of is a little bit more down to earth <laughs> um, a little bit and kind of is finding something else. Like that's really where he kind of takes root and kind of finds his next thing that he's going to find ground mm-hmm. in and find hope in. And so it's very Mulder in that way of like always searching for something else to depend on and always searching for something to believe in, to want to believe in. And so he can't really believe in this alien abduction fantasy, quote unquote, but he can believe in this other thing that allows him to Mm -hmm. feel that she's close by and to feel that um, maybe it's going to be okay in a different type of way. And I love that shot. I love the direction Earlier in closure, we see him in the motel and at 3 a.m. with the movie playing and he's not asleep. But after kind of having this connection, finding this information and reading these things that Samantha had left for him and kind of finding maybe this new source of hope in this, these things he's saying about starlight. He is able to, it's like the first time that we see in the series that he's just sleeping without the television mm-hmm. on, where he's mm-hmm. actually... In a real bed. In a real bed. He's in a real bed and the television isn't <laughs> on. And it's like the first sign of like... He's healing. Mulder is like growing and like healing. Real beds are healing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Real beds are healing. <laughs> I have a whole thing about like the the metaphorical nature of Mulder not owning a bed, but because it's such a <laughs> it's such a big yeah. deal to me. But that's why I love this shot, this transition. It's so effective to me. Of like, he can actually go home and get some sleep now. There is some he is able to kind of let it down, put the search down a little bit, and then Scully finds info. From a cop, a California cop in 1979, which leads them to the admitting nurse in the hospital where they took Samantha when this cop found her. And the nurse um, also had the vision of her dying. And then she was missing when Cigarette Smoking Man and a bunch of other dudes came to pick her up. While she's talking to her, like Mulder wanders off and and sees all these kids and the Moby music comes back. And like, so Mm -hmm. in this scene, like. Uh, Kim was like, David, like you got to cry. Like you're reuniting with your long lost sister, her dead, bo- her spirit or whatever. And he's like, no, I don't have to cry. Like, that's not going to work. Like, I just watch. I'll do it. My, my idea. And then we'll, we'll decide if we need to reshoot. it. <laughs> it's just like very David and company. He was like, I, I'm not crying. It's not believable, but I, <laughs> I mean, he's right. He doesn't have a good cry face. So he was right. His impulse was right. And he has like a smile. Yeah, not, yeah. Like, smile and it, it's just like it's i i love this because i feel like it doesn't there's like the underlying sadness of like she is dead but like there's so much hope right. in his conclusion like he's smiling it's like a a wistful smile i would say like that she, he sees her 14 happy for once and like it just it almost made me cry it was so good i i, I thought mm-hmm. david Duchovny was right in this situation <laughs> Like, a cry would have been, yeah. yeah. When he's right, he's right. Like, he's not often right. He's one of those people where he's not often right, but when he's right, he's so right. He's righter than anyone has ever been right. And he's so right in this scene because it has a different tone than the way it was intended, and the way that it comes off is so perfect. 
and because they're so overjoyed to see each other. These are two people who spent in each respectively spent the rest of their lives just holding on to this connection that they had to each other. And when she sees him and she just runs to him from the forest and they're both just so happy in this kind of empty, kind of inadequate way. It's so, that's what, not to sound like a broken record, but that's what I love about this episode is that it is kind Mm -hmm. of, it offers both and the way that it, it um, moves from the, one of the most brutal and punishing scenes of the show in the very beginning, the opening and the end of Sign and Sight of Mulder being confronted with all of this very human, very brutal evil of dirt and bones and flesh and blood and kind of progression to the ending, which is something that he is comfortable with. It's something that he can find growth and healing in because he's able to be offered this kind of beautiful, mythical connection that he's always been searching for in a way. And this episode kind of balances both it ha- it offers like the end of the road and the end of this story is kind of a it it is both it's both more human and more brutal and more evil than Mulder ever wanted or ever was comfortable with and it's that kind of optimism and hope that he has in the world I think it's perfect in that way and we even get the kind of parallel to Harold when like Mulder tries to tell him I saw your son he is dead he's okay and and Harold refuses to believe it like that was Mulder for so long but he is now at this place where he can accept closure and Harold isn't there yet and is Harold not there yet because he doesn't have a scully or is he just not it it, they don't say when his son died but it just it seems like it's I think he's just not there yet yeah 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 I also think that he may like some he may never be there mm-hmm. right like i think that the fact that's that Mulder even got to this place is pretty remarkable mm-hmm. um because i think most people don't don't get there and like harold may never he may always continue to willingly not see his son's spirit yeah because he can't deal with it so uh we'll continue with our segments uh and we start with agent Mulder. shut up Mulder. The Mulder rating. And this one's tough because he's he's obviously very mm-hmm. annoying, but he's going through a lot. And so it's it's hard to fit that balance <laughs> sometime of like um you know, I, I, I will give him a very a soft affectionate eight point five. Like he's tough. Yeah. He's going through a lot. I think he would yeah. he would accept the eight point five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, sort of same. I gave him an eight. Oh my um, God, I hate when I'm above you. <laughs> I know, it's kind of funny. <laughs> because, like, he is going through a lot, and, like, that doesn't absolve him of some of his annoyingness, right? Like, but I think um, there's at least, like, a reason for it. And when there's a reason for it, I can kind of, and instead of it just, like, purely being his personality, um, I can kind of deal with it a little bit more. Um, cause yeah, there, he definitely was like on one at points during these episodes, but also like he is processing something really difficult. So I, I understand that. So yeah, I give him an eight. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Y'all might as well just skip me on this one. (laughs) It's so much worse that (laughs) I can't even, I can't even hide how much of a older apologist I am. (laughs) I wrote down, I wrote down in my notes, I can't do it for this one, y'all. He can do whatever he wants. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's allowed to. (laughs) He's allowed. He's going to pass for this one. That's okay. Okay. I'll I'll take that as a one. Yeah, I yeah. wrote down one. I didn't 0. Want to 5. say it out loud. I wrote down one in my notes. I'm like, I can't do it, you guys. <laughs> I love that. I love that, honestly. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's always an option. <laughs> and next we have. So uh, this must be the enigmatic Agent Scully. Our sassiest Scully moment. Laura. Um, yeah. So. God, there were some there were some great moments. Um, my personal favorite is whenever um she sees cigarette smoking man like in the dark in the corner and he's dramatically lighting his cigarette <laughs> and she's like, All but why you can't just come to the door and knock. <laughs> That's so she's good. like, Why why do you have to be this way? I like how she directly confronts him in a way that mm-hmm. like a lot of other people are scared to, but she's just like, No, like, why are you mm-hmm. so fucking weird? And he's like well, I tried, but no one answered, and it's like, ugh, it's and this so is annoying. this is even before in on uh, enemy, which like she does that. Right. Like that whole episode is just her and cigarette smoking man, and we're not gonna watch it because I hate it, but <laughs> and I hate the implications <laughs> that the episode goes with, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I just it was it was really funny to me. I loved that one. <laughs> okay. Okay, my sassy Scully moment was when Harold showed up at the FBI. (laughs) And she's so... The thing that I love about it is that she's... This whole episode, she's so kind of quietly worried and, like, a little bit scared of what Mulder is going through. And you can see on her face when Harold starts to talk that she is kind of, like... Um, you can kind of watch the life go out of her eyes in real time. She realizes that, like, this guy is now going to be a part of this situation. And Scully never, Scully never wants anybody other than her to be a part of one of Mulder's days, even much less, like, a crisis. And so you can see her kind of like be so worried that he's getting drawn in. But at the same time, she can't help but still be a hater of this guy. Like she she's so she's going through so much. They're they're dealing with so much. She's so worried. And she still has to be judgmental and hateful <laughs> to the psychic guy. I love it. And I love that about her. <laughs> Me too. It's like I she she's being such a bitch but like i love it like i love it when when women are that way like it's amazing i was like worried she wouldn't have a lot of sassy moments in this episode because it's been a while since Mm -hmm. i've seen these two and i know it's like overwhelmingly sad but she is surprisingly sassy in this like i wrote down the funniest one to me was when she walks into his hotel room and she's like Skinner is royally pissed. And then Mulder doesn't say anything. And then she takes a beat. She's like, at you. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. It's like, I'm totally telling the teacher that you didn't turn your homework in. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And my other favorite one was when, uh, which we didn't talk about this, but when 
after she tells him like his mom died and she's comforting him and she stays the night at her his place and Skinner comes by and he knocks and like she's standing in front of Mulder, which first of all, Skinner's like, I'm not touching that. And second of all, yeah, I Skinner's- love Skinner for just being like, not even, <laughs> not even going to mention what is going on here. He's just like, I didn't see that. And then he's like talking about like, we need to go to uh, Sacramento. And she's like, well, you better book three. She's like, I'm, you're not taking him by yourself. Like, I am not making this mistake. <laughs> yep. You're not going to talk to him without her in front of him. You're not going to take him mm-hmm. anywhere without her going with him. <laughs> like, yep. she does not play. I just love how Skinner was just like, I do not see it. Like, <laughs> And lastly, we have... Welcome. You've got mail. I guess it, I will keep it the 90s moment, but it could be... Two th- it's 90s slash 2000s moment. 2000s, but, yeah. Yeah. The segment's not changed. They had AOL in the 2000s. I was on AOL in the 2000s. So. Yeah, me too. Everything's saying this. Mine anyway. was one of my favorite things about this episode is the more forms of communication that are used. So there's just constantly throughout this episode, stories are being told. And there's this kind of visual haunting through rolls of film and VHS tapes and messages on paper, dying words on answering machines. And... I don't know. Maybe the, one of the reasons why I love this episode so much, these episodes so much, is because it's so rooted in this kind of physical forms of media. And that's something that kind of, it dates it in a way, but in a way that is what makes how dated this show is so good and is what makes it so, so resonant because there is a kind of haunting in this episode that's separate and maybe more visceral than the kind of physical ghosts that we see and the ways that they're replaying like the pictures and frames the rolls of film the replaying of the tapes and the news feeds like it's just it is dated but in a way that brings the messaging home so much more than you'd be able to do without it yeah Yeah. like there's so many shots of crt monitors and this, like, kind of, like, the balance between this and, like, the very ephemeral subject, like, these children are ghosts, like, these children are spirits, and, like, but there's so much more, like, physical media, like, like, uh, Planet of the Apes of um, the reg- regression hy- hypnosis, the pedophiles tapes, so much of this is physical, like you said, yeah. Yeah. That was a great answer. My answer sucks in comparison. <laughs> I was just going to say the pre-9-11 security at this Air Force base. Um, <laughs> like, you just, just like can't even get like within 50 feet without them knowing There's who you are and what you're doing. Presumably so. no barbed wire at the top of the fence yeah. either. Right. They didn't even cut it. Like, they just hopped over, just ran through this empty field. Yeah. There was even a security car driving by, and they ran and had, like, dusty tracks seem, like, and, like, still didn't anything. get caught. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like that is just only pre nine eleven. Yeah, um, and also just like probably budget constraints, but because um, they've broken into like military bases and stuff before with like mm-hmm. the full support of the lone gunman and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, but they just straight up hopped a fence and walked up to this one. So, so I had I had two. One was at the very beginning. Mulder's V neck just felt very like late late nineties, <laughs> early two thousands to me. 
But my other one that kind of cracked me up was like the nurse like didn't know they were co- they were coming, and so she just opens her door. She opens her door normally, and when I open doors, when someone knocks, I'm not expecting it. I just peek my head out, and I'm like, "Who is this?" Like I just. So much like skepticism goes into answering a door now that like isn't the case. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, that was the door. <laughs> I like do not answer the door if I am not expecting someone or I don't know who it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the episode. And I really did. I really did turn around on this episode. I really didn't like it. Every time I rewatch it, I kind of I get really frustrated. I feel like it's overriding a lot of the emotional impact of the earlier seasons. But I... I I, I went into it with an, a more open mind, and it really is just like such a unique um, approach to the X Files that it, it just takes some time. It takes some ruminating to really get, and I think it gave me a really great appreciation for the Mulder and Samantha relationship because it really was like they had such a tough childhood. Samantha like kind of suffered the entire way. If we like take her journal, which I think we have to take her journal as the most truth that we're gonna get. And and Mulder was just left with the pieces. Like he 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 was left to make sense of what happened to her, what broke their family apart, and like just this two like divergent paths that they end up on. And just like their their love for each other really shines through in these two episodes. In in ways that like sometimes it doesn't. Like not that he doesn't love her, but it, it always just felt more um Samantha was a concept. She wasn't a person. And I think this is the first time, like, we really hear her own words. And and, and she is a real person to us, a real child who died. And yeah. I think this, this uh, approach to grief is fascinating. I don't know if this episode's like, these two episodes are hated necessarily, but I don't think they're as beloved as they, they could be. So. Yeah. That's my read on it. I, I really enjoyed these episodes this time. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think initially watching them, you are kind of, like, confused. But, yeah, the more time I spend with it, the more I kind of understand what it's trying to say. And I kind of appreciate the way it goes about it. And, um, yeah, it, it is really nice to actually get Samantha's in her own words for once. Probably the only time. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah that is kind of it would have been interesting if we had gotten something like that maybe earlier but yeah I agree I know it's hard with this these episodes for me because um I do love them so much and I write about them a lot I see a lot in them in them I know them backwards and forwards (laughs) um I think your love for these episodes really turned my approach on them because I, I really was pretty close off to them. But then you loved them so yeah. much. And so I was like, when I sat down to watch these, I was like, I should really give these a second chance. Like, yeah, there, there must be something real. there that I, I just missed my previous times. And there there is. There absolutely is. Yeah, you talk about them so eloquently and so thoughtfully that it really makes you sort of tr- rethink some of the things that you, your initial feelings on them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is the kind of episode where it's like there is a lot of really good material there, but I think because of whatever it is, you kind of have to meet them halfway. Like, you, I think this is a, a two-parter that the, they ask you as a viewer to really put some work in to like really critically think about it. Yeah, they really it really challenges you on on your expectations of what 
this type of episode is supposed to be like, and I think that's why there is sort of an initial confusion with it. But but like once you do kind of accept that challenge, like it definitely opens up a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I yeah I really appreciated these. I hope if y'all are on the fence and you're listening to this that you you give it a, a solid chance because they are really good episodes. I think it's just. Um, not what you ever expect in, in a unique way, because I feel like the episodes that are usually unique for the X-Files lean more comedy, so it's easier to have an audience buy-in because you're just there to laugh, like when they're format-breaking, but this is format-breaking and very sad, and I feel like that's not something we really are asked to ever uh, deal with before, but yeah, so yeah, that's the episode, and... If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we are Condensed Truth on Twitter. Um, again, I don't want to make another social media site, so we just need that site to hold out until the end of the year, at the very least. Yep. <laughs> um, but if it goes down, I'll make an Instagram or something. But <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to email us, we are condensedtruthpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from y'all, and we'll have bonus episodes coming up kind of soon because we're not covering like a whole lot of season seven, so. And next time, we will be talking Season 7, Episode 12, X-Cops, which will be a lot of fun and a lot of challenge because it's a big tough, it's a big topic. It's like the most copaganda the X-Files ever gets in my mind, but it's very funny. It's a a good episode and it has a complicated legacy (laughs) and we'll get into it. Shelby's covering this because I asked her to cover it because I actually really like X-Cops because I think I love these episodes. I love X-Cops. It's a really, yeah, we'll talk about it later, but I think it's a really interesting take on the format anyway. (laughs) But yeah, and thank you so much to Michaela for coming on. Uh, Thank you, yeah, again. You really changed my mind on these episodes and they're good actually. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for asking me to come on. I know that these episodes asking me to talk about them is always bold but i really appreciate you guys taking that swing in the same way these episodes take a big swing (laughs) absolutely absolutely (laughs) yeah and um we hope everyone has a nice weekend or week bye yeah bye